Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is the Politics, Politics, Politics program. If you want to support it, hey, Dr. Birdie there. Let's see if we can get Deebs here. Hey, Deebs. Where can people go if they want to support the show? Oh. Oh, really? Okay. So you can go to takepoliticsseriously.com. He's going there right now. That's where you can support this program and get not only the program you're listening to right now, but also the interview program for free. And if you're at the $3 level, you get a bonus podcast on Monday, a bonus podcast on Friday. Folks, it could not be simpler. Head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Well, hello and welcome, friends. Welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics Podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young. Joining you for the first time, man, it feels like in, in weeks, from my Oakland, California studios. Not in Austin, not in Atlanta. Thank you so much to everybody who came out to see my show at Dragon Con this weekend. It was awesome uh, to, to meet so many listeners and, and really being on the road this entire month w- was an awesome opportunity for me to meet so many of you guys live and in the flesh. So that is always the, the, the stuff that I, I say, well, no matter what, I was tired as hell, but that's the thing that makes it so worth it. So thank you to everybody who came out and I look forward to seeing so many of you at future engagements. This week on the show, we're talking about Luther Campbell and Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren creating a Voltron of proposals from other candidates, Boris Johnson's no good, very bad week, and universal basic income. Of course, the pole dance, of course, but your emails. But we begin with something that we have not done in too long of a time, and that is how they win, how they lose. If you haven't previously heard it, is when we go all the way back through the electoral record of one of the major candidates for president in 2020. And we try to suss out through no bias, no political gut, just how they've won in the past and how they've lost in the past. What issues are winners for them? What issues are losers for them? When are they disciplined? When are they not disciplined? Just trying to learn the lessons of the past and see how they project into the future. We've previously done these on Kamala Harris, on Beto O'Rourke. And this week, we'll be focusing on somebody that many, many, many people believe could indeed be the Democratic nominee. Somebody that is the betting favorite in some markets to be the Democratic nominee. I'm talking about the senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. Primarily, we are going to spend our time on one contest, which is kind of defeating the purpose of our entire, (laughs) you know, we're going to compile things. But I think it is a very telling contest, and it's something that's worth going back. And I was surprised with some of my research and what I found during it. But we're only going to talk about one contest because Elizabeth Warren's only been in two, and they were both for the same office. Kamala Harris ran for two different offices. Beto O'Rourke ran for multiple different offices. She ran for one, won it, defended it, and now we're here. This is her third race. So let's get a little bit of background on Elizabeth Warren, two and O, undefeated. 
First thing you want to know about Elizabeth Warren is that she was born in Oklahoma. And boy, howdy, we're going to talk a lot more about her being born. In terms of her allegiance, she was a laissez-faire capitalist free market Republican until the mid-90s. This is by her own admission. She says it was around the mid-90s. This is while, while she was well into academia. She had already written several books. That she kind of had a call. The call was when she realized that most people declare bankruptcy not because of overzealous spending, but rather because they overleverage themselves for mortgages in houses in better school districts. At that point, she felt that, well, you know, this is a system that is not here to reward the best of us. If a parent trying to get their kids in a better school district is something that leads to financial ruin, then it's a system that we need to, on some level, correct. It's at that point that she becomes a political appointee. This is while she is a professor at Harvard. She becomes very well-cited there, by the way, as a professor. Somebody that winds up becoming influential amongst academic circles. But I want to highlight this real quick because I think it has ramifications to where we are right now. She was appointed to many offices within the government oversight offices. She's an Obama appointee after he's elected in 2008. So while we're here in this moment right now, in September 2019, looking into the 2020 race, and we start to read stories about how Elizabeth Warren has uh, become the chosen person amongst the Democratic National Committee, as opposed to Bernie Sanders, despite the fact that they share many of the same proposals, I believe this is important. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Not only in politics, but in life. So the people that are making up the brain trust of the Democratic National Committee are likely people that she's a known quantity to. She's already been appointed and given positions. In a lot of ways, she's climbed the ladder. Compared to Bernie, who, by the way, is not a member of the Democratic Party, that's substantial. That means something. But let's focus on the race. The year is 2012. Scott Brown has previously been elected as a Republican to the Senate seat of Massachusetts, vacated by Ted Kennedy after his death from cancer. Elizabeth Warren runs unopposed in the Democratic primary. You would think that that would be a, a fairly popular race to run in, considering the fact that Republicans don't often hold Senate seats from, you know, the, the, the playfully nicknamed People's Republic of Massachusetts. And yet there is Elizabeth Warren. She has herself a little viral moment in 2011. As she's thinking about running for Senate, this is what she says to an audience during a talking tour. You know, well, this is class warfare, this is whatever. No, there is nobody in this country who got rich on his own. Nobody. You built a factory out there, good for you. But I want to be clear, you moved your goods to market on the roads the rest of us paid for. You hired workers the rest of us paid to educate. 
you uh, were safe in your factory because of police forces and fire forces that the rest of us paid for. You didn't have to worry that marauding bands would come and seize everything at your factory and hire someone to protect against this because of the work the rest of us did. Now look, you built a factory and it turned into something terrific or a great idea. God bless. Keep a big hunk of it. But part of the underlying social contract is you take a hunk of that and pay forward for the next kid who comes along. You know, I was doing the research here and I, I found this. This was like the moment that she became somebody that was a little viral in the Democratic Party, put her name on the map in terms of a very watched race for Senate, but doesn't that sound familiar? That sounded a little familiar to me. You know, it sounded a little bit like this that happened in 2012. If you were successful, somebody along the line gave you some help. There was a great teacher somewhere in your life. Somebody helped to create this unbelievable American system that we had that allowed you to thrive. Somebody invested in roads and bridges. If you got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. I mean, you know, if it were me, I would have kept in the thing about the marauding bands. But one thing is for sure, Barry, you didn't write that. By the way, this was pointed out by a Washington Post fact checker column at the time. Just that nobody really knew who the hell Elizabeth Warren was at the time. So it was just Obama rips off some lady. And they also didn't say it was ripped off because, I mean, whatever. Fill in the blank. I want to go ahead and gaze into my crystal ball right now. I want to look into the future. I am recording this on September 4th, 2019. But I can see the future. I've seen the future on this show many times before. And I'm just going to bring you in to what will happen if, Elizabeth Warren is the nominee. In fact, I'm going to play you audio that will horrify CNN. Picture a, a, a Don Lemon uh, just shaking, literally shaking, because he can't imagine that such a thing would happen in America. Horrifying sound for you right now. To paint the picture, supporters from Elizabeth Warren are on one side, her opponent on the other, and this is what happens. Indian war whoops. The Seminole chant in this country? Of course, the fact that the crowd in the middle of that wound up breaking into a unanimous Yankee suck chant probably tips you off to the fact that this is indeed not from the future. This is from 
the Elizabeth Warren race against Scott Brown. It shows exactly how long her Native American listing has been an issue, the impunity her opponents have felt in using it against her, and how ineffectively she's dealt with it in the seven years since. I'm going to play for you a series of clips from the ads in that campaign just to show you how much of a central issue this was in that race. Because Scott Brown initially started his campaign as a bipartisan Republican job creator. Here's a clip from his first ad. To me, creating jobs is more important than what party you belong to. That's why one of the first votes I took as a senator was for a Democratic jobs bill. That's the end of the ad. That's what he wants to leave you with. That's the moment he wants you to take away. You're not voting for a Republican. You're voting for me. And I'm for jobs. You want jobs, right? Remember, this is coming out of a recession. Things are still a little wonky. He wants to promise stability. That's his first ad. To show you how dramatically the tone of the issues in this race shifted, here's his second I'm Scott Brown, and I approve this message. Elizabeth Warren is trying to put questions about her heritage behind her. Warren admitted to identifying herself as Native American to employers. Something now genealogists have said they have zero evidence of. She's facing tough questions about whether she claimed to be a minority for professional gain. Warren did give an answer. The problem is it keeps changing. Is there anything else that's going to come out about you that we don't already know? <laughs> you know, I don't think so, but who knows? Now this, right here, is a pivotal moment. Not only for Elizabeth Warren in this race, but Elizabeth Warren as a candidate. Elizabeth Warren as a politician. Elizabeth Warren as a prospective president. This is her response. As a kid, I never asked my mom for documentation when she talked about our Native American heritage. What kid would? But I knew my father's family didn't like that she was part Cherokee and part Delaware. So my parents had to elope. Let me be clear. I never asked for, never got any benefit because of my heritage. The people who hired me have all said they didn't even know about it. I'm Elizabeth Warren, I approve this message. Scott Brown can continue attacking my family, but I'm gonna keep fighting for yours. So a few things to notice here. She doesn't call Scott Brown a racist. This is a smear on her family, an unfair one, but not a racist one explicitly. That's going to be very different than how she handles it with Trump in our modern era. I was kind of struck by listening to this in her own words at that time, because right up until a very important part, it was what I thought she should have been saying publicly now for a little bit. It's right up until the moment she says, that she never asked for or received, and received is our key word here, any benefit from her employers. In my opinion, she'd be dealing with a lot less crap at this exact junction if she had said, family is complicated, how could anyone know anything, everything I said I believed is true because I believe my family, period. You can't claim that you never received a benefit. Because right now, there is a core contradiction in the story of Elizabeth Warren. If the factory owner 
in that clip that made her go viral owes a portion of his success to the country for roads and rule of law. How is Warren so positive that she never received a benefit for her heritage? Both should be passive recognitions that the world is more complicated than our understanding of it are. We should be recognizing that there are passive things that put the wind to our sails. We should be uh, appreciative of them. We should honor them. We should refill those coffers. But that's some more philosophical stuff. In terms of the X's and O's, this leaves Elizabeth Warren with a little bit of a soft underbelly. She left something open, and it is exploited. Old clippings of Harvard touting her as a Native American professor have surfaced. A quote from the Harvard Crimson followed, as did a 1984 book called Pow Wow Chow, where Warren contributed a few recipes. Brown continued to pelter. Professor Warren got caught in a lie. Harvard thought that Elizabeth Warren was a minority because uh, she said so. Harvard touted her as a minority. Initially, she said she didn't know anything about it. She kept on covering up and going deeper and deeper into the hole. Elizabeth Warren got caught. You know you need to come clean when you're caught. It seems like this is a pattern for her. I think it should affect a lot of voters and how they feel about Elizabeth Warren. We already have enough people in Washington that will say anything. Don't need one more. And yet, Scott Brown was elected to Ted Kennedy's seat after all, and Massachusetts is as blue as it gets. Where else does a Republican get in trouble in an attack ad for supporting a conservative Supreme Court justice? This is a real radio ad. In the Senate debate, Scott Brown was asked, Who's your model Supreme Court justice? Here's Scott Brown. Let me see here. That's a great question. I, uh, I, I think uh, Justice Scalia is a, is a very good uh, judge. Justice Scalia is adamantly opposed to Roe v. Wade. He said it was, quote, utterly idiotic. And Scalia ruled against equal pay for women and said the Constitution doesn't protect women from discrimination. Elizabeth Warren had him dead to rights. She stuck to class warfare. She survived, however rickety, the attacks on her Native American listing... And she wins. 53% to 46%. She is elected to her first public office at the age of 63. So let's take a look. How does Elizabeth Warren win elections? Economic warfare is being waged, and she's ahead of the curve. With the progressive wing of the party energized, she doesn't need to modify her Massachusetts message much. She's an economics professor who knows that capitalism is out of control and needs to be institutionalized for its own good. So let's take a look at how she loses. And I'm doing some guessing here because she is 2-0. She's undefeated. She loses because she's sloppy on her personal story. And it comes off as somebody with something to hide. Going away from the Pocahontas stuff for a minute, this kind of weakness can manifest itself in many ways. Her past as a Republican, how much of a true rebel firebrand she is when she came straight out of Harvard without a primary challenger in the 2012 election against Brown. That has to indicate some kind of institutional support. Both of these could be brought up in the primary in the next few months. On the issues, she's a machine, all right? About herself, and her motives, she wobbles and makes very lasting mistakes that she has a hard time getting over. 
Now, note that I did not talk very much about the 2018 race because it was a laugher. She won 60 to 36, and really the most telling moment of that campaign wasn't even about that race. Hi, this is Elizabeth Warren. Is Dr. Bustamante in, please? In the senator's genome, we did find five segments of Native American ancestry with very high confidence, where we believe the error rate is less than one in a thousand. She had six years to come up with that. Six years. And if you don't live in Massachusetts or followed that race, you now know exactly how much she knew that she did need to get ahead of it. And that's what we got. A bad stunt meant to wash away a sin from six years ago for a race two years from the moment she published it. It did nothing of the sort. She was excoriated by the left for claiming tribal heritage when she shouldn't have. She was humiliated on the right because she had such trace elements of Native American blood in this DNA test. This was an absolute disaster, one she had to apologize for and is now, by the way, deleted from any official presence that she has on the internet. Six years. Which brings us to right now. She's done great since then. Really, really good. Largely because she's been able to run a race free of such accusations. But things are about to get a lot tighter in the primary. And if she wins the nomination, it will get even tighter in the general. She is fast running out of days when she's not going to be forced to talk about things that have always been a weakness and she has shown little sign of being able to get over. Six years, she couldn't do it. But if you're an Elizabeth Warren supporter, here's to lucky number seven. Politics! Thank you to everybody who supported the free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Five days a week, five stories a day, mostly gifts, Become a part of our forward family, the forward family. As we begin to stretch our tentacles ever wider into the political world, the free political newsletter is a way to get people in our bizarre little coven. It's quick, it's easy, it's fun. If there's a story that you know somebody in your friend or family would love, you can go ahead and hit forward Type in their email and say, I think you might enjoy this. You have no idea how crucial this is to spreading the word and, in a selfish way, trying to get more people into our headspace. Won't the next election be so much more tolerable if coverage and discussion amongst friends and family is more like you hear on this podcast than what you heard in 2016? Well, there is no fate but what you make. Go ahead and become part of our forward family with the free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Politics! We got some campaign undertaker news. Unfortunately, no official campaign souls taken this week. We had the, the, the update at the last minute about Kirsten Gillibrand. But we do have uh, a winner. Uh, I've been on the road since we did the Hickenlooper thing. 
Uh, but Cody D, Cody D is our winner. He will get a signed Hickenlooper sign. I also found some Hickenlooper stickers that you are going to get as well. Just do me a favor, Cody D, and email theyoungamerican at gmail.com, theyoungamerican at gmail.com to claim your prize. But we did have another campaign drop out, and I got some swag for her too. I've got a Gillibrand flyer and some Iowa for Kirsten stickers. If you want the now obsolete campaign merch of Kirsten Gillibrand, then go ahead and reply gong on this post on Patreon. Get there by going to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You'll see the name of this episode, which is How Elizabeth Warren Wins and Loses. Right, gong at the bottom. And next week, I will have our Kirsten Gillibrand winner. One more thing. We are going to do something fun because we all, uh, the campaign undertaker thing is kind of taken off. So we are doing the campaign undertaker death poll. What campaign do you think will be the next to end? Head on over to bit.ly slash death poll and register your vote. You can say I called it. And we have some really rad data. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. Right now, as I'm recording this, the next person that our listenership and uh, the Twitch and, and Twitter and everything that y'all think will drop out is Michael Bennett. But he is leading by a hair over Marianne Williamson, also receiving significant votes, Amy Klobuchar and Tulsi Gabbard. I have no idea why y'all think Klobuchar is dropping out because she made both debates. So she's definitely in probably to the, through the end of the year. Tulsi, I think, is a sneaky pick. Go ahead and vote. Totally free. You don't even give your email or nothing. Bit.ly slash death poll. Death poll. Politics. Fun story from Politico yesterday. Headline, rap legend ripped Kamala's marriage to a white man. Then she won him over. Who is the rap legend? And fie on you, Politico. A, a, a plague upon your house that you can't name a true legend. A Supreme Court Hero, a man who went to D.C. to fight for our free speech. You can't name that man in your headline. I am referring, of course, to Uncle Luke, a.k.a. Luke Skywalker, a.k.a. the mastermind behind the two live crew. By the way, that, that ain't no hyperbole. In case you are unaware, two live crew took a charge to the Supreme Court and help to bolster the First Amendment and, and your ability to perform live things that Broward County determines lewd. Well, Uncle Luke's got a column in the Miami New Times. He is very opinionated about all things up to and including politics and football most often, and he had a torrent of criticism 
for Kamala Harris. It was a riff that critics slammed as sexist, writes Politico. Campbell questioned Harris's marriage to a white man and even suggested that she used a romantic relationship with former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown to advance her career. Quote Uncle Luke in his own words, like everyone else, black voters want help from one of their own. The Bushes made sure that they got people oil money. Bill Clinton let the telecommunications industry gobble up small radio and TV stations, and Donald Trump is looking out for his developer buddies through a tax cut and opportunity zones that gentrify minority neighborhoods. Meanwhile, Harris has let black people know they can't count on her. Campbell said he wanted to determine if Harris was, and I quote, a real sister. Well, (laughs) this apparently reverberated through a network of uh, the the black sorority world of which Kamala Harris counts herself among, and so does Uncle Luke's wife. And now, after a personal phone call between Kamala Harris and Uncle Luke, Uncle Luke has come around. Uncle Luke is now... For the people, which I would say he is always for the people, the godfather of booty music has done nothing but bring people together figuratively and literally for over several decades. But it's a fun little story. I think you should go ahead and check it out. Ah, man. What am I doing? I interviewed the head of the Peabody Awards Committee, the executive director of the Peabody Awards, yesterday. You know, I'm trying to bring this podcast legit. I'm trying to do things that'll broaden out the audience, give people a reason to listen. <sighs> Here I am playing this kind of music. I'm downright ashamed I played two live crew on this podcast. Wrong! Oh. Well, that means it must be time for the... Hey, I think it's pretty clear, you guys, that Elizabeth Warren is definitely not intentionally trying to create a Voltron of proposals from other candidates. Wrong! Oh, no, she's definitely trying to do that. (laughs) Uh, This from CNN yesterday. She announced that she is taking on Jay Inslee's climate change platform. So just for the record, she's got a plan for that, although it isn't necessarily hers. She now has Bernie's Medicare for All and Inslee's climate change proposal. Here's the story. Senator Elizabeth Warren on Tuesday announced that she would adopt Washington Governor Jay Inslee's 10-year climate plan while also expanding on his blueprint with a series of additional investments costing $1 trillion to offer additional protections to workers and help fund a radical transition of America's infrastructure and industry away from fossil fuels. The proposal, which will cost $3 trillion in total, was released on the eve of a CNN town hall focused exclusively on the climate crisis, which, by the way, I think started roughly 14 hours ago, uh, prior to my recording and will end sometime 
in the coming century. Warren's announcement signals her hopes of picking up the climate change baton from Inslee, who dropped out of the race on uh, August 21st, the same day he released the final piece of his comprehensive plan. Warren also challenged her rivals to meet Inslee's standards. Warren gunning for those endorsements. You know, I said this on a, a few other places. I think I said it on the PX3 Extra, but... This is the kind of thing that we're losing now that a lot of these fairly well-named but certainly dead-end candidates like Inslee and Hickenlooper and Gillibrand are dropping out is that they're not immediately endorsing somebody or there's no speculation of will they, won't they, who are they going to endorse. This is a key part of, of the political media cycle. And I think Warren is very smart to capitalize on it. And I do think it's really funny that she's just going to have everybody else's uh, everybody else's campaign stuff by the end. Hey, this is all going according to plan for Boris Johnson. Wrong! Here's a new segment that I'm debuting that I like to call Reading Text Messages from Tom Merritt. This is after Boris Johnson uh, officially lost uh, control of parliament. Parliament has now seized control itself because they want to pass another law saying that there will not be a no-deal Brexit. So now Boris Johnson has said that he is going to call for elections so he can reestablish his majority. In fact, he was kicking people out of his own party because they were, re were rebelling against the conservative edict now that he was the head of the conservatives. So I emailed, I texted Tom. Tom texted back. Here's what Tom wrote, because he's smarter than me on this. I bet all those writers who used unprecedented on Theresa May stories really wish they could have saved it. It seems like Corbyn is going to make sure that no deal is off the table before an election gets called. Nobody trusts Johnson not to leave the election date to after 1031. I can't tell if there's any way that Johnson can stop that. If he can't, then Brexit will move again to January 31st and we get an election on or about 1014. Honestly, Johnson needs that as he lost his majority when Philip Lee switched the, 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 the liberal Democrats anyway. So Johnson has to get a working majority and go for no deal hard bargain again for January with a mandate behind him after an election. The Brexit party might play into this with a coalition as well. The thing behind all of this is that nobody is saying what the, that deal would be. What would Johnson agree to, to with the Irish backstop, for example? Until there's a credible version of that, I don't know how this ever gets resolved without a new referendum. I still think that that's unlikely as well, though. Anybody who knows this is going to end up as a liar or a seer. Tom is very, very smart. Hey, universal basic income will never be implemented. Wrong! This is one of them stories that I was aware of before, but it shows you what having a national mascot will do for something. Because I was aware of the city of Stockton in California instituting universal basic income. But that was back when universal basic income was just a thing that a bunch of Silicon Valley people talked about. Now it's the Andrew Yang national idea, and it's been going on since February, and here's the story from the AP. 
Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang wants to give cash to every American each month. Susie Garza has never heard of Yang, but since February, she's been getting $500 a month from the nonprofit in Stockton, California, as part of an experiment that offers something unusual in presidential politics, a trial run of a campaign promise highlighting the benefits and challenges in real time. Garza can spend the money however she wants. She uses $150 to pay for her cell phone, another $100 or so to pay off her dog's veterinarian bills. She spends the rest on her two grandsons now that she can afford to buy them birthday presents online and let them get the big bag of chips at the 7-Eleven. Quote, I've never been able to do that. I thought it was the coolest thing. I like it because I feel more independent, like I'm in charge. I really have something that's my own. This is very interesting. Politically, for Andrew Yang, because he is not a sitting politician. And yet now, whether or not he's ever been to Stockton, California, he's the mayor. <laughs> if anything goes wrong in Stockton, California, specifically if it involves universal basic income, he is going to be the guy who has to deal with it. Politics! All right, guys. I've been getting a little tired of the fact that all the pole dances are basically the same. We've got some incremental change. We're, we're leaving people outside the club. People are still going to be outside the club, but I'm just not saying their name anymore because all their names are basically all the same, and I feel morally repugnant for playing Chris Brown's voice. We've got really a, a trio of headliners, and then we've got a few people that both have tied for their own kind of lower rungs. So we're going to have two acts that come up together and followed by another two acts that come up together and then we'll have the rest. So to start off, it'll be two and two, shout out to Chuck Woolery. Or considering we have been blessed by news from Uncle Luke, it'll be... Uh, we the two life crew, two for me, two for you. That's of course right here at the... Ah, uh, ah, uh, come on. This is an economist and you gov joint. Taken from September 1st to September 3rd, it's ah. Get on the floor if you got that booty. Stepping up first to the stage. Together. With three points apiece, it is Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang. And now gracing the stage as a pair with five points apiece, it is Mayor Pete and Kamala Harris. But now, for your headliners. Ooh. 
with 14% of the vote, your senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders! With 22% of the vote, her name is Elizabeth Warren! And your headliner, with 26% of the vote, it is Big Joe. That is Yang and Gabbert with three, Harris and Buttigieg five, Sanders 14, Warren 22, and Biden 26, Big Joe with a four. Point. Politics. Let's go ahead and get into but your emails. You can always send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, that is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. I asked you guys last week what a poll means to you. I'm going to be talking a lot more about these things as we go forward. So just I wanted to get a general potpourri of your opinions. We got some great ones. Here are my favorites. John writes, a poll is an item on which a flag can be hung. Smartass. Miles writes, polls are only propaganda. I'm sure that if one doesn't come out close to the result they want, they do not even release it. So, Miles, that's a fairly cynical take. I would probably have a little bit more faith in in polling than that. But, you know, I asked for the opinions, and surely they came. Jeremy writes, a poll is an educated guess of the pulse of a selected audience relative to that poll. And I really agree the most with Jeremy. Pulse is a great way to say it. Because if you take the pulse of a patient, you will know what their pulse is right then. Now, that patient can then have a heart attack in five minutes. They can live the rest of their lives. Their heart health can actually get better. They can have better blood pressure going forward if they take care of each other. However, when you take the pulse, it is what it is in the moment. And that's, I think, important to realize as we move forward. All right. In non-poll email, Sean writes, I knew a guy who had a political podcast and a no-cost political newsletter, and he was adamant that his newsletter recipients needed to respond to the emails so that they would be so that they would actually get the emails. He also prided his podcast on not being confirmation bias, which a lot of other political podcasts are. But I guess there's no reason to clutch pearls when online personalities allude that their audience should do something such as bringing an AR-15 to Comet Pizza and demanding that the non-existent sex traffic kids be released from the non-existent basement because there are millions of Americans who hear the biased and somewhat wholly fabricated news and a good number of them also own firearms while holding the belief that they are a more patriotic avenging angel sent to earth to do God's will of the vampiric monsters feeding off innocent kids. It doesn't take that large of a percentage of Americans to have American society and putting a cramp in the global economy to grind to a halt. If there's elected officials and majorities in their constituencies that tolerate 
if not inspired by their elected officials who are making public statements that are too atrocious and incite violence, then how much more do you think America will continue as it is while significant segments refuse to share the same facts set with another America? Now, this email was written in response to something that I wrote in the free political newsletter about a what I felt was a little bit of a pearl-clutching post by the Axios founders, Mike Allen, and the other guy. Basically about how Donald Trump is going to attack social media during this cycle. That they are going to highlight conservative bias. They are going to paint these online institutions as unfair brokers of the news. And by the end of it, the blog post that is, Mike Allen or whoever wrote this line had the... This union cannot stand if we do not have a shared truth. Well, I don't really agree with that. Not the shared truth thing. I I do agree with that. I do believe that we need facts. I don't think that we can live in a society if we totally don't agree that the sky is blue, for example. And I do think that we are exposing what we don't agree about more and more. What I do disagree about is to say that we are widening these divisions and that although it's ugly, I think that we are closing them. Lunatics have done lunatic things for a very long time. They've been inspired by weirdos and mediums uh, far more troublesome than online, which is fairly unregulated. In fact, many of these people get their, their wisdom from sanctioned radio and television stations. They do crazy things. I wanted to make the point in the free political newsletter that I do think that for Trump, it is seizing upon something that has been there as long as the internet has existed. Screw the mods. From the first BBS board in history, somebody had beef with the mods. So Donald Trump weaponizing screw the mods for political purposes, I I think it's just something that we have certainly seen before. However... I don't believe, I, 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 I agree with Sean on the, the fact that there are two points on a line. I agree that both those exist. I do think that there are some off-ramps in between, however. That's all I would say. Luke writes, recently Jim Mattis published an essay called Duty, Democracy, and the Threat of Tribalism. While reading it, I couldn't help but notice that it sounded presidential. As a Marine myself, I follow the warrior monk close enough to know that he is one of the greatest strategic minds of his generation. Could his new essay be a hint toward a possible 2024 run? Or are my personal biases clouding my assessment? Either way, Mad Dog 2020 has a nice ring to it. Sorry, 2024. I was thinking about my own drinking habits. Mad Dog 2024 has a nice ring to it. Uh, Luke, first, thank you for your service. Number two. This would really have more to do with how much Jim Mattis really wants to get all up into that political life. Running for president sucks. It involves a large microscope probing into every element of your life. We haven't seen a lot of military men go into it. I think largely for that reason. Now that they're not tough, it's just it's it's a rough world to get into and it is psychically draining and if you have already done a great service to your country and sacrificed so much for your family, why would you want to go through that again? That being said, do I think that we have heard the last of Mattis? 
Certainly not. All right. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh, you can always email theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trop Killers. Follow me at Justin R. Young everywhere, and you can download archived episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. A reminder, you can also join our Discord. Talk about politics all day long. Bit.ly slash jury discord. Again, bit.ly slash J-U-R-Y D-I-S-C-O-R-D. And you can support this show by heading on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. All right. That brings us to the end. Until next time, friends, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics. And others, man, they talk about politics. And there was one I saw linked on Twitter that talked about politics. But friends, let this be known. This is the only show that talks about all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>